the noise. There we go. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you. You know, every five or six years uh, when the Steelers do make the Super Bowl, Greg gets to wear a Super Bowl, uh, I mean, a Steelers, uh, you know, kind of outfit with his uh, stole. Don't you have a Steelers stole that you wear? Well, you know, just for a second, I got to put on the, uh, the Patriots there for the, there we go. Some of you all are sighing, but I know it's every year this is usually the Patriots' last game of the season. So anyway, some of you got that one. Well, this morning uh, I, have a, uh, I have a question for you all. Have you ever had an opportunity that you knew was good for you? You knew it would be a good decision if you followed through with it, but you were hesitant to respond because you knew that it would take you out of your comfort zone. And it might even be costly. So you were hesitant. For some of us, if we scroll through the, the history of our lives, maybe we think back to a relationship when we were considering getting married. Or maybe it was a big uh, home purchase or a business deal, a job offer, a move. If you keep going back, maybe it was what college to go to, what to major in, what sport to play back when you were in high school. We all have these decisions, and at the time these happen, sometimes they cause us to have a lot of anxiety. As psychiatrists say, it often causes us to uh, either fight, where we just try to fight it off and not make a decision, flee to run away from it, or maybe we freeze in fear because we just don't know what to do. I think all of us have times in our lives when we're just confused on what our next step should be. I want to start today by telling you about two uh, Two decisions that I made, two calls that were in my life that I did respond to, and I'm very happy I did because it changed the trajectory of my life, especially the first one. Back in middle school, my parents forced me to go to youth group, which is kind of ironic since I've led youth ministry for a lot of my adult career. And I remember going there one night, and they had this guy that was overzealous with his uh, evangelical uh, fervor, you could say. And he was getting all the middle school kids, and he was making us feel really bad. He was saying, you know, you guys are sinners, you've done bad things, and I mean, I'm embellishing a little bit, right? And I remember the meeting was taking forever, and all I wanted to do was just get out of there, right? And he was talking and talking, and then he said, you know, if you get in a car accident tonight, are you going to heaven or hell? And I'm like, please, I just want to get out of here, right? And all of a sudden, all these kids started getting emotional and going to the front of the room and saying that, you know saying, I want to give my life to Christ because they didn't want to die in the car accident, right? And um, I was like, I, am, I feel nothing. I'm not going to the front. I, and if I go up there, the meeting's going to take that much longer. So um, I didn't respond to God's call at that time in my life. Even though for a while I had been feeling that I needed to put both feet in with my faith, even in my 13-year-old brain, I sensed that God was calling me to something. But fortunately, later in high school, I spent a week at a Young Life camp and as some of you maybe heard the story before, all of a sudden, the whole story of the gospel, Jesus dying for my sins, rising from the dead, all of that just clicked. All these stories I've been hearing my whole life. And I made a decision that day. Uh, I remember that evening I was laying on this hill, and I made a decision to follow uh, the Lord with my life. And that sent me on an incredible trajectory of submitting my uh, life to God, and it helped many future decisions I would make. It didn't make my life perfect. Oftentimes I was, uh, oftentimes I was uh, still confused about some decisions I had to make. Didn't always live a, a perfect life and still don't. But I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
I felt his words just kind of steering me back on the right path. As I said in an earlier uh, sermon, it was almost like that GPS that was telling me to, you know, to turn, make the U-turn and get back on the right path. I felt the Lord's presence in my life. And I want to tell you, tell you about another call I had in my life. When I first moved to this area about 13, 14 years ago, I was working at the Church of the Cross for two years, and I stopped working there. It was about the same time I married Veronica. And fortunately, I had a great opportunity. We really wanted to stay in the area, and a friend of mine from Church of the Cross um, invited me to do sales for his construction company. And it was right around the same time the economy was kind of tanking, you know, 2007, 2008, around that time. And uh, so I ended up doing a lot of installs as well. But it really was a good opportunity. I worked on my sales skills. And for the most part, I was enjoying it. It wasn't an easy job. But I felt God continuing to call me, say, you know what, I think I'm, I told Veronica, I think the Lord's called me back into full-time ministry. So anyway, St. Luke's had a job uh, offer for a youth pastor, and I said, you know what, I'll go to the interview, and I was still hesitant because I was starting to kind of learn the trade. I was uh, selling uh, hurricane protection. This was before Matthew, right? So it was, you know, if it would have been after, I would have been making lots of money. But uh, anyway, um, I went for the interview, and I was like, you know, I don't know. The interview went pretty well, and I, go, I feel like I just want to stay where I'm at. I'm comfortable there. I'm learning. And I remember I was on a ladder in a multi-million dollar house facing the ocean in Port Royal, drilling holes in the side of someone's house. And don't worry, I was at that point, after a year and a half into it, I was getting pretty competent. I actually knew what I was doing. And I get a call on the phone, and of course, you shouldn't answer a cell phone when you're 20 feet up in the air, but I did, and it was Greg Kronz, and he said, you know what, the committee uh, wants to offer you the job. And so I go, well, let me get down from the ladder. I got down, and I said, you know, I'm not sure I want to do this. And Greg's like, well, I think you should reconsider I don't remember how long it took me to call back, but I called him back and said, you know what, I need to do this. And so I made that decision, that plunge, uh, once I was on the ground, not didn't jump off the ladder, okay, just for the record. And here I am almost 10 years later, I've been ordained, I've been a part of this church, and it hasn't been easy to call at times, at times it's been great, but I knew that that's what the Lord was calling to me to. But it was that first call of submitting my life to him that's guided me as I've had to make some of these big decisions about uh, whether it's be career or, uh, or marriage or what God wants me to do next in life. So perhaps you today um, are feeling that maybe it's time for you to get down from the ladder. Maybe God has been calling you to do something. I'm not saying leave your job or change your career. Perhaps God is calling you to submit yourself to him more fully to follow him with your life. So this morning we're going to unpack that a little bit. We're going to look at uh, the call of Jeremiah and the call of Jesus. And we're going to look at God's call in your life. Because the good news is, is that God has called every single person here to full-time ministry. That doesn't mean you need to leave your job, as I said. It doesn't mean you need to become a priest. But it does mean that you need to submit your life to him. And it's scary because it takes us out of control. But when we do this, we'll find that we have a life that has purpose, that has meaning. It helps us with those huge decisions. But it's also, I'm not going to lie to you, it's a life that makes you more familiar with struggle. Because you don't have your blinders on. You aren't living in this bubble wrap of comfort. It causes you to get out there, to share other people's pain. You're more familiar with things that break the Lord's heart. This is what the Lord is calling to each and every one of you today. 
So let's begin by looking at Jeremiah's call. See, Jeremiah, uh, when he was called the prophet in the Old Testament, it wasn't because he was number one in his Hebrew school. It wasn't because he had a great resume. Here's what it says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. See, Jeremiah's call was before he was even born. The Lord knew him, had a plan for his life. But Jeremiah said, I'm young. I don't think I, I'm not qualified. I don't want to do this. He felt inadequate. He didn't feel like he was a professional, a professional prophet to go out and share. The Lord said to him, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord did something else for him. He filled him with his Holy Spirit. It says the Lord reached out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth and said to him, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations, the kingdoms, to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So Jeremiah went on his happy way just telling people things. Actually, it wasn't that easy. See, the Lord called him to do very difficult things, to confront corruption, to confront crooked crooked religious leaders who were greedy, to confront false prophets. There was plots against his life. He was literally thrown down in a cistern, which was a sewer. And they didn't want to have the blood of his hands because if he really was a prophet, then they might be in trouble. So they said, we'll just throw him in the sewer and let him starve to death. But the Lord rescued him. See, the Lord filled him with this passion, this fire inside of him that he could not help but share it. Jeremiah writes, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He had to share what the Lord had put into him. The Lord had filled him with the spirit. Jeremiah was weak, but the Lord was strong. The Lord had a big plan for his life, and Jeremiah responded to the call. Not only did he share... uh, things in that time when there was corruption and crooked priests and uh, false prophets. But he also prophesied about the future of the coming of the new covenant, the coming of Jesus Christ. Here's the famous words in his prophecy that some of you are familiar, about, familiar with. Behold, Jeremiah writes, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But listen to this. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will give their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah prophesied the coming of the Savior, the coming of Jesus Christ, who would die for people's sins on the cross so people could have access to the Father. They could have the Holy Spirit in their hearts so they could live in a close relationship to God and a love for the world. And then there was Jesus calling. See, Jesus, too, was not an afterthought. It was not a plan B by God. He didn't say, you know what? 
I thought everything was going to go well, and then Adam and Eve screwed up, so, hmm, what should I do? Okay, I'll send my son. No, from the very beginning, Jesus was with him. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It was all part of the plan of God's redemptive plan that he would send his son to walk among us, to save us from our sins. It was planned from the beginning before Jesus, the person, the human who walked among us, was even born. When Mary uh, had become pregnant, the Holy Spirit told her that she would give birth to a son and he will save people from their sins. Also, the angel said his kingdom will never end. So Mary's pregnant with this baby and is finding out all this stuff about him. And when he was born, remember my story at Christmas, what was read in the scriptures, the angels came to the shepherds and said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Great joy for all people. See, Jesus' ministry, just like Jeremiah's, was filled with the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized, a voice from heaven said, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. As a dove, the Holy Spirit visibly ascended onto him. And in the passage that Kathy read this morning, Jesus uh, inaugurates his spirit-filled ministry with these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the tenant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were focused on him, fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, Jesus' ministry was not just saying nice words. He put it into practice. He set people free who were in the bondage to sins and selfishness. He set people free who were blind so they could see, who had spiritual blindness, they could see God. And just to give you one snapshot of his ministry so you could see the spirit-filled ministry that called people into salvation, the best one that I can think of, there's so many good ones, but the one that keeps coming back to me is Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who had cheated people, who went up into a tree to kind of just check out Jesus from a distance. But Jesus calls him out of the tree. My daughter, Isla, actually loves that story. And she said, you know what? I don't think he was excited about coming down from that tree. I think he wanted to kind of remain anonymous. I think I was right. I think he just wanted to kind of be in the, you know, just sort of be up there just observing. But Jesus called him down, invited him to his house. People mutter he's going to the guest of a sinner. But Jesus call, called to go uh, be with uh, Zacchaeus to go to his house to share life with them, changed Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the cheat, the tax collector, stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, Salvation has come to this house. For this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus just did not talk about his ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit, he put it into practice and lives were changed. And notice with Zacchaeus, he just wasn't a pawn that Jesus was using for his ministry. Jesus didn't say, hmm, there's a rich guy. We could use him to help fund our ministry. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down the tree. You can go continue to get money. We won't, you know, kind of under the table because we need you. No. 
Jesus was, was in the business of changing people's hearts and lives. The deepest problem that every single one of us has, the selfishness of saying no to God and yes to self. And here you see a life that was changed around. Today, salvation has come to this house. Just like Jeremiah, Jesus' ministry was not easy. It was not all, you know, just a big celebration of people getting healed. Even in the passage that Kathy read this morning, the beginning of his ministry, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They tried to kill him on several times, and finally they were successful. But death did not have the last word for Jesus because it was all part of God's redemptive plan to restore us and save us. He was the Passover lamb that would set us free, that would die for our sins, was risen from the grave so we could have the real hope of eternal life. So now you've heard about Jeremiah and Jesus' ministry, but that call is extended to each and every one here this morning. See, we, are, we too are not an afternoon. I mean, an afternoon. I'm not sure what that is. We are not an afterthought. We are not a plan B. God knew us before we were even born. The psalmist writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He knew you before you knew yourself, before your parents knew you. You are not an accident. You are not a plan B. Jesus talks about the intimacy, how each person matters to God. When he was preaching a sermon, he tells the people, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God knows you, knows your story, knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of us, that's a lot. For some of us, not as much. But he knows everything about you. And he invites you in to his family. The famous verse, John 3.16, says that anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.17, for Christ did not come in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. When you respond to this call, just like I did when I was a teenager, you belong to something bigger than you, and it changes the way you see your life. Peter writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You've been called in this family, but it's not just to stay in our holy huddle and say, isn't this great? We're called to share this and to follow Christ in our daily life, to submit our lives to him. The great commission of go, um, that he gave to the disciples to go out to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you is for us too. And to remind people, just as he did the disciples, that surely the Lord is with you. He's with us as we do this to the very end of the age. We get to join in something much bigger than us. And here's the deal. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. He gives that to each and every one of us so we have the power to live this out in our daily lives. Paul writes, But the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit. He will give you life so you can be a life giver to other people. See, responding to God brings us into the ministry of bringing salvation and life to other people through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in order to get there, you've got to humble yourself. See, Jeremiah was humbled when he got lowered into that sewer. Jesus was humbled as he was lowered into the grave. And we're humbled when we say yes to uh, Jesus and no to self. It says in the scripture, when we humble ourselves, he will raise us up. So that's what he's called us into. And it's not a part-time thing. It's not just a once-in-a-while thing. There's no punch card for followers of Christ to respond to this call. You don't just kind of check in and check out. We're not people who know just a bunch of information about God. We're people who know this, and then we share it because we can't help it, because we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like Zacchaeus, when he was called down from the tree, Jesus didn't just give him a sermon or here's four points to believe. He was called to become a a person, instead of greedy, someone who was generous, someone who understood that he was loved and therefore he loved other people. So oftentimes when we understand this call, it's hard to do, we think. So we want to exile ourselves. As a matter of fact, from a recent study, it said that almost two in five practicing Christians have no non-Christian friends. Or family members. So in other words, we, oftentimes we want to just stay around people that are just like us. Nikki Gumbel, who started up Alpha, which we were starting on Tuesday, um, said, you know, in the American church, it seems like you guys just shuffle from one church to the next. And you're not always very good about inviting people who don't know Christ. And I think there's some truth into that. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be out in the world knowing people, but not of the world. We're not called to assimilate so much that it's kind of like, where's Waldo? Where's the Christian? Where we blend in so much that people can't even tell who we are. We're called to be different, not a weird different, but people who've been transformed by Christ and can't help but love their neighbor and share their faith and the hope they have with other people. So this call that God has called each and every one of you into full-time ministry, it doesn't mean you need to leave your jobs. Instead, it means that what you do in your job matters, the way you treat people, the way you treat people that work for you, the way you treat your customers, the way you uh, do business, what you do with your money, all of that matters. Paul tells us that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to us. Just as a good ambassador wouldn't hide in his house, You're amongst people. You're living your life. But you're living your life in a very different way because you have the Holy Spirit in you. But it is not easy to do this. Just like it wasn't easy for Jeremiah, it wasn't easy for Jesus. When we follow Christ, it's very difficult. As I mentioned before, when you submit yourself to the Lord on a daily basis, you become more familiar with pain and other people's pain. You don't ignore it or just say, you know what, I'm just going to pretend like everything is good. Just be positive. No, instead, the Lord awakens you to what's going on in the world. Things break your heart that breaks the Lord's heart. So it's very difficult at times. Peter writes, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. It's not easy. 
but it's good because you know you're on the right path. God has called each of us, every single one of us, and he wants your heart this morning. It's not easy. For many of us, it's easier to ignore and put it on a shelf or be like Zacchaeus and I'm going to stay up in the tree or sort of stay in the pew and just sort of like, you know, get some information but not really do anything about it. But that's not what God is calling us to. God is calling you first for the big thing, to put your trust, your whole feet in, like the hokey pokey as I've talked about it before, your whole lives in, to trust him with everything. When we embrace this, it changes us. We understand that we've been rescued from this dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom, the son he loves. We understand about the redemption, the forgiveness, and we can't help but extending that and sharing that with other people. Perhaps you say this morning, Steve, that's great, you know, for you're a priest and, you know, you guys are the professionals, but I don't have the gifts. I'm not very good at talking to other people. I'm not very good at that stuff. Let me tell you, you have everything you need right now. See, we are one body with many parts, with many gifts. I was recently at this Alpha Conference in Arizona that I just got back, to, back from, and uh, there were, one of the speakers was a guy named Father Mike, who's a Catholic priest who runs Alpha at a, a college in Duluth and has a dynamic ministry. And someone was uh, sharing that, uh, about them not having enough gifts. And he shared a story from earlier in his life about a friend of his who kind of put him to shame. He said every time he'd go with the guy, the guy was always wanting to help people. And he was always busy. And here he is, this priest, but, you know, trying to get to the next appointment. He said one time they were driving down the interstate and there was a bad accident on the side of the road. And his friend was like, we've got to go help this guy. And Father Mike was like, oh, my gosh, I'm late for an appointment. Can't we leave another guy to do it? He's having this internal conversation. So they stopped. And the friend saw that where the car was wrecked, it was a dark road. And the, it'd be danger for another car to pull into the accident. So he realized he had a cell phone flashlight. So he went out and put on the pulse mode and was, was, you know, all the cars were kind of going around. And the truck said, you know what? You need more than that. Here's, I have a vest. So he gave him an orange vest. Another vehicle gave him some cones. Another vehicle stopped by and said, you know what? You need something better than that cell phone flashlight. Here's a big flashlight. So pretty soon he had a vest, a cones, and a big flashlight. And Father Mike's story for all of us is that You may just have that little uh, flashlight on your cell phone. But that's enough. God will provide you with more. He will continue to bring good things in your life so that you can, too, join in and bring about his hope and redemption. You may not think you're gifted, but he'll give you the words to speak, just like he did Jeremiah, just like he wants to do in your own life. God will provide. So we as a church... Oftentimes we come here Sundays, we, got a little, we get a lot of information. We go to a Bible study, we get a lot of information. Maybe we read a Christian book and we get a lot of information. And this is all good. But as Greg has reminded you, as Kathy's reminded you, as, as many of you already know this, we need to put our faith into practice, to go out and live it out among our friends and neighbors, and not just friends who think like us, people who don't know the Lord. That's where we're called to, this great commission of going out, of putting our faith in practice. That's why with the, uh, the youth ministry that I've been a part of for so long here, we do things like mission trips because it helps the kids put their faith into practice. It gets them moving. It gets them off the couch. It helps them to be a part of what God is doing around the world. So therefore, their whole experience of Christianity is not like taking that class in college, like we all did, where you kind of cram for the exam, you get a lot of information, 
and then the next day you forget it all. When we put our faith into practice, it becomes a part of us. That's what the Christian faith was designed for. It was never just a bunch of information. It was living it out. We as a church need to foster that by our own lives, encouraging one another on, to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. To end my time, uh, I just went to a conference, so you know I'm a little excited, but I've got to share, you, uh, share with you just uh, two quick stories of, uh, of two pastors who went to very hard places and had a very similar message. And it's a great reminder to us. The first was a, guy, a British guy named Gare Jones. The Lord called him to go to Southern California to Hollywood. And a lot of y'all are thinking, oh, that sounds great. You know, palm trees, Pacific Ocean. Well, anybody who knows anything about church planning knows that is like the graveyard for pastors. It's a post-Christian society. Nobody wants another church there. He said he went there for the um, first week he was there. He decided to stop by a pub because he's British, and that's what British people do, right? And so he's having a, uh, a beer with some guys he just met, and he got that dreaded question that pastors get. What do you do for a living? And he's like, you know, he's like, you really don't want to know. And they're like, no, no, we want to know. He's like, you sure? And they're like, yeah. So he, there was three of them sitting there. And he said, well, I'm actually a church planner. I'm here to start a church. I'm a pastor. Two of them got up immediately, shaking their heads. The other one looked at him and said, you seem like such a nice guy. And stayed with them for a little while until he left. But the Lord had called him to a very tough place. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him and said, this is where I want you. His church, Vintage LA, Vintage Church in LA, you should look it up. They have multiple churches. They have Alpha and all kinds of outreach and missions running. The Lord was faithful. He said the first time he ran Alpha, because they didn't have anything going, he ordered like 20 pizzas and nobody showed up except his wife and him. But he was faithful to that call because he knew the Lord is with him. We are weak, but he is strong. The second guy that I want to end with was a guy, a guy named Harvey Carey. He was a Texas guy, an African-American, very dynamic, and the Lord called him to go to Detroit, Michigan, of all places. He was like, I do not want to go there. Called him to the eight-mile area. If anybody knows, once the auto industry left, that's like the worst of the worst. All the big churches left there when the auto industry left, but that's where the Lord called him. And because he was faithful to the Lord's call and empowered by the Holy Spirit, his ministry's grown. He said, the funny thing is, he says, it's all African-Americans by him, and all these white people are coming to his church. And he said, we didn't have any strategy. How do we reach the white people? He said, we just started preaching the gospel. We invited the Holy Spirit to come a part of what we were doing. And that's what the Lord wanted to do. And his message to all of us over and go is, we are weak, but he is strong. That's what we're called to a spirit-filled ministry that changes our lives, helps us to be part of something that's much bigger than us, gives us purpose, direction, and yes, it's difficult. Yes, people will walk away from us at times because they don't want to hear our message, but that is what we're called to. The Lord is with us. You are not alone in this. This is where life is found. This is the life of a Christian. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you called everyone here, including me, to be a part of your uh, redemption story, to be part of sharing this message to the whole world. I thank you that you empower us with your Holy Spirit and remind us over and over again that although we're weak, you can use our little cell phone flashlight to accomplish much. You will give us everything we need 
to accomplish your purposes. Help us to wrestle with our lives, to realize that we need you more and more each day. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our lives with your strength, your power, and your hope. Help us to be that hope to others. In Jesus' name, amen.